If you do have a Bible, you can turn uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If not, they'll put up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Hmm. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things that are beneath, of the world, the things which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not. In other words, they have not arrived. They're not special. They're not of any type of significance anyways. He said he's chosen those things to bring to nothing the things that are. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm God, I would choose a whole lot different than that. I would want people on my team that are smart, that got it together, that, um, that are talented, that are prepared. I'd, I'd have those kind of people on my team. But God says, that's not how I choose. And here's his reasoning. The last part of that verse says, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God wants to get the glory. In other words, he wants the world to know who he is, what he's capable of doing, what he's able to do, and that, he, that, they, that the world can see his son through it. Church, it's important to note that God takes his power, his ability, his strength, his might, and he hides it in common things. Not the great big things that you would think, not the most wise person in the whole wide world. No, he chooses things that nobody else would think that was too important or significant. And he says, that's what I'm choosing now in order for me to show forth my, my plan, my glory, and so on. We see it through the scriptures. We see it with, with Moses, um, who is obviously God's prophet, and he's, he's bringing, he's bringing uh, God's people out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt. But he has this thing of choice in his hand called a staff. The staff in his day was like it would be today, not really that significant. Help you walk. It can deal with, it's a shepherd's tool really. Um, and that's all it was. Nothing special at all. Yet when he was put to the task and he was faith, faced with the Red Sea and they couldn't move any forward, God said, take your staff. The common thing, the ordinary thing, the shepherd's hook. And now stretch it forth upon that sea and divide it into dry ground. Somebody say amen. amen. And so he does just what God says. And the ordinary, the common thing becomes anointed and powerful and causes them to be delivered out of the hand of the cruel Egyptians. The tabernacle was another thing that you look at in scripture and not find too much significance in. It wasn't the temple overlaid with gold and all the beautiful elements and things that have to do with the temple that where the queen of Sheba came and, and she was saying how beautiful it was and actually gave an offering to Solomon and said how excellent his people were and how awesome it was. The tabernacle was not like the tabernacle was something you, you picked up, you folded up, you put it in a suitcase, and you moved with it and set it back up. Because it was a tent, and it was made out of badger skin, and the skin would have not been beautiful. Matter of fact, it had probably blood stains on it, and it were brown. It was not pretty to look upon. That's all it was, a hot, stinky tent. But God says, that's the place I choose to dwell in. The Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim. He said, I promise I dwell between the cherubim. That's where he said, I will choose to meet with my people once a year in that place. Something you would never think God would choose. But that's not like us, but it is like our God. we got to recognize and discern how God chooses. When God decides to anoint something, he decided to anoint it. He didn't ask your permission. It's just something he decides to do. 
And when he decided to bring his son into the world, he did not put him into a palatial place, beautiful place with kings and servants and a palace and a beautiful courtyard, but instead he was born in a stable. Come on, somebody. You wouldn't put your worst cow in there, but that's where Jesus Christ was born. And the greatest answer to mankind was born in the least common place ever. It gives you a little window into the character of God. It gives you a little window into his wisdom. It gives you a little window in how he operates on the earth. And if you look around in our church, especially over the years, you might look at us and think that we're a bunch of misfits, and you're probably right. But I don't look at misfits as a bad thing. We didn't fit together anywhere else, but when we came to this place, we all started to fit together like a cog. Come on, a wheel, turn him. Everybody's kind of... Put together just perfectly the way we're supposed to be. And, um, and it's a good thing. And I, I remember all the days, you know, when we first started, you know, thank God we got a lot more talent. But in the beginning, is we didn't have a whole lot of talent. You know, you had to take what you could. And God did bless us with some aspects and other aspects he didn't so much. But we did what we had. I kind of felt like the, 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 the boy with the two fish and five loaves and how, you know, you just take what you have, right? And you ask the Lord to bless it, and he would do it. And so we didn't always have the, the greatest leadership in the day, but we did the best we could. I, I had a guy, and a and, uh, real nice guy, and he kind of came up the ranks, and this was many years ago, and, and uh, we were in the other part. We were actually, our, our sanctuary was that part of the building. And, um, and the front of the property here, where you see the beautiful lobby, it wasn't like that. It was the old school uh, theater lobby with the funky, uh, you know, carpet and, and, and the old school concession glass and come on y'all that's all we had but we were happy to have it we used to, we were cleaning popcorn out for years come on someone in this place and um and so this if you if you go right outside here this this east lobby and that west lobby didn't exist the building wasn't even there. We actually built that out. The middle part did, but the two sides did not. And so I used to park my car over here so it would be where the cafe is. That's where my truck was parked. And they would back it in for me. And so we had a little door. We went out right there. And, and so um, I remember talking to my usher, my head usher, and a couple other guys. We'd always chit-chat for a little bit before he left. I think I was waiting for Pastor Robin like I always do. Hallelujah. But she's worth waiting on. Hallelujah. Give it up for, give it up for Pastor Robin. She's worth waiting on. But I do wait for it. Hallelujah. And, and so I was in the truck. Where I was talking with somebody else. Next thing I know, my head usher's out in front of me about 25 paces in the front row. And I can tell he's angry. And I can't see. All I can see, because the building kind of jets out like this. I'm parked like this, you know, so I can't see around the corner. And he's, I can see him getting irate and getting yelling at somebody. Next thing I know, I see another guy jump out of a car. And they met in the middle, and he takes his earpiece out of his ear. And I said, oh, no. He got into that Puerto Rican slouch. That, that. I thought, oh, no. And they went to fist fight right in front of the church. Holy Ghost meeting, my head usher. And he's fighting. It was unbelievable. But, and, you know, something in me said, come on, get him, get him. No, I, 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 I kind of did, but I shouldn't have done that. Praise God. And, and come to find out it was a family dispute and everything was, they were hugging afterwards. All right. Anyways, my point is, my point is, sometimes you got to understand there can be greatness in the chaos. Don't throw away stuff just because it's not working quite yet. Just know it's on its way. Come on, it's on its way. And, and greatness doesn't always look great at the first glance. Can I get an amen to that? My, my, I didn't look the way I look today. My wife, she saw something in me, but I didn't quite see it in myself. But I was a man of God, and I didn't know it at that time. I didn't look like a man of God at those days. Didn't act like a man of God. Wasn't even serving God. But God knew who I was. Come on, somebody say amen. 
just like he knows you. So we're all a work in progress. Tap your neighbor and say, you a work in progress, and you know you are. Come on. And some tap your other neighbor and say, he's still working for sure on you. Come on, just tell him he's definitely working on you. Hallelujah. So first glance, it may look like greatness is not there. Israel today, right now, is at the wailing wall, and they're crying out to God. The uh, devout Jews and the priests and, and, um, and, and the rabbis, I should say, are at the wall. And they do this and they'll, they'll pray and they pray and they pray at the wailing wall. And they're looking for a Messiah because they did not recognize the Messiah when he showed up 2,000 years ago because they couldn't believe that a Messiah could come from a carpenter. Better yet, they couldn't believe that a Messiah could come from a 15-year-old girl who said she was pregnant, but she knew not a man. You know she's lying, but she wasn't lying. Jesus, come on, was put in her womb when the Spirit of God overshadowed her, and the Messiah was born into the world. Common, not ordinary, not something distinct. Matter of fact, looked like a mess. Looked like it was something that you would say was chaotic. But there was greatness in the chaos. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He buys a field. When he knows where the treasure is. But he doesn't anybody, want anybody to see it. He wants to keep it for himself. It's so special. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who when he has found one pearl of great price. He went and he sold all that he had. And he bought it. Why would anybody do such a thing? Yet he's saying there's so much value in the treasure. There's so much value in this precious pearl. I see it, but nobody else can. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get the treasure, to get the greatness, to extract of its value. Look, when you're looking for greatness, when you're looking for potential, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. I was reminded this morning when I was preaching about Peter and how Peter, it's one of the greatest stories to me because it's not as simple as it sounds to me. But it happened. And Jesus walked on the shore where Peter did his business. Peter was a businessman. He didn't own a ship. He wasn't just a fisherman of a, of a boat. He owned many ships. He was in business. He had been passed down from his father, probably from his father's father. And yet Jesus walked by and with three words changes his life. And he says, come, follow me. And the Bible says Peter left everything and followed Jesus. I said, Lord, how could he follow you? He didn't even know you. And the Lord spoke to me. I'm telling you, this was years ago. And just as clear as I could, I could hear it, he said, when you're looking for something, you can't miss it. He had been looking for Jesus his whole life. And so when the door of opportunity knocks, you know you got to go through it. But on the flip side, if you're not looking for greatness, if you're not looking for potential, if you're not looking for opportunity, you're not going to find it. Let me make this statement. Your worth was so valuable that only God could pay the price of your redemption. Don't you ever think less of yourself anymore. Quit putting yourself down. Quit comparing yourself with other people. Why don't you get off Facebook for about 10 days and watch your life and your joy level go to another level because you're not going to compare yourself with everybody else who's faking it anyway. 
people live in Facebook land as if it's real. It's only as real as you capture on that camera. Ain't nobody putting the bad shot up there. They put the shot of you eating the food. Come on, something, something like, with the food going to your mouth. They don't, they don't get the shot of it coming down on your shirt. Am I, am I telling the truth? Your kids ain't acted up on, the, on, 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 on Instagram or on, on social media. Come on, somebody. All your relationships good. Everybody's smiling. Take the picture. Everybody, get in here. Everybody, uh, uh, and they smile real big. Look, they're having a great time. As soon as they walk away, cussing each other out, angry, upset. I didn't want to take a stupid picture anyways. Ain't that the real life? Then why do we compare ourselves with a bunch of fakes who would say they got a great thing going on, and maybe they do, but it's still not mine to compare? Amen, somebody. Now, I want you to look at this. Uh, Judges 16, verse 1. Now, Samson went to Gaza, and, and this is where we're going to take our text from, and saw a harlot there and went into her. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the, city, the, the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sur. Let's just say it this way. Samson just loved women. It wasn't that he loved this one. You'll know the story. You know the story. You know he just loved women. In the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Do you know what Delilah's name means in the Hebrew? It means the flirt. Huh? That, that means twisted, perverted praise is what that is. So when... I don't want to have to preach this too hard this morning. But I need to tell some people, that's why you got to be real careful who you're hanging out with. Because some people, they got, they got something called the flirt, which means they pervert praise. They praise you, but they praise you with an intention of getting something from you. And you don't give anybody anything until they understand the value of who you are. And if you're single and you want that sex then you better understand her value and put a ring on her finger and marry her and say to death, do us part. And when you got that down, I lost a bunch of claps in 21st century Holy Ghost filled churches. But I'm here to tell you that's still what that book says. That's what it says. If you're a fornicator, you don't make heaven. I'm trying to keep you out of hell. That's my job. You're trying to keep me from fun. I'm not trying to keep you from fun. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. But the day will come. Everybody will pay the price. Everybody stands before God in judgment. You can do it your way, honey. I choose to do it God's way. This ain't the Burger King religion. You can't have it your way. You got to have it Yahweh. Your way's killing you. Your way's sending you to hell. We need some holiness in the church. I said we need some holiness in the church. I, I, I'm a man. So I love men in the sense that I, I, I understand them. And I get where they're coming from. 
But I'm sick and tired of having a bunch of boys. If you're over the age of 18, it's time to grow up. Take some responsibility. Put a ring on her finger. For crying out loud, make a commitment in your life. Because lady, he'll tell you anything. But when you know your value, he can't get away with that. You know when he's tricking you. Come on, somebody. And tricks are for kids. Hallelujah. Hashtag that. Hallelujah. Tricks are for kids. I'm off my message now, but I felt the Holy Ghost strong, strong on that. I just want, I just want things to be right. Because God wants them to be right. Not that we don't make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all fall short of the glory of God. Ain't nobody in this room perfect. We've all sinned. But we can't keep going down that road. Amen. Where was I? Delilah. Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him. Because she's good at it. And find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him. That we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. They're going to make her some money. It's a pretty painful thing if you're Samson, or maybe you felt this in your life. When those you love and think you can trust are actually plotting to betray you. Betrayal is painful. He told his secret to her. She, she said, if you really love me, like you say you do, tell me what is the source of your strength. And a couple times he, you know, he lied to her because he didn't want to give it up that easy. But I found something out about Delilah or the spirit of Delilah. They don't give up. So you better stand your ground or you got to part ways. He said, well, you know, if you give me seven, if you, if you put seven uh, fresh bowstrings, you know, bone air, bowstrings on me, if you buy me up with them, I, it's, 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 my, it's my kryptonite. I can't get out of that. So he falls asleep, and she binds him up. And she says, the Philistines are upon you to check to see if he's telling the truth. And poof, he busts out of those things like nothing. You lied to me. If you love me, you tell me the truth. I can't take all this lying. And she, he said, um, he said, well, I'll tell you what, that's true. He put new ropes on me, seven new ropes. I can't move. That's it. She does it. Falls asleep. He, she binds him up with the seven new ropes. And she said, the Philistines are upon you. Boom. And the Bible says he broke it like hot, like, like uh, broke those ropes like um, if you were to touch, touch fire to yarn, just snap them all. Boom, boom, boom. Can you imagine the strength of this guy? And she said, you lied to me. Oh, my, you've lied to me. As if she's not doing some lying herself. And they both lie to each other. And then, and then he says, well, I'll tell you what, if you put my hair and my seven locks in this, into the loom, I, that's my strength. I, can't, I can't do nothing. She does it. Philistines are probably, bang, he breaks out of the thing. He has got power and strength. You know, he's ready to go. And finally, she wore him down. And while he laid his head in her lap, and she stroked his head and said, please, please, if you love me. She's seductive. If you love me, you'll tell me the truth. And it wore him down. And he said, well, if you cut my hair, I won't have any strength. And she said, lullaby and good night and put him to sleep. 
and shaved the boy's head. And the Philistines were there. She said, the Philistines are upon you. And he went and woke up like he did before. And he went to fight those Philistines like he did before. And guess what? They beat him up, bound him up, and took his eyes out of his eye sockets. Took away his vision. The key is he woke up thinking. He had the same power strength, might, and anointing that he had before because he had played with sin before and got away with it. Then one day you wake up and go, how come I'm getting my head beat in? Am I talking to at least two people here today? And, and, and this is what happens. And look, look, look over at verse 21. It says, then the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, took his vision from him, Devil's always trying to blind us. He blinds the minds of them, lest they should believe, the Bible says, and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he came. He became a grinder in the prison. However, however, the hair of his head began to grow again, and after it had been shaven. Isn't God's grace amazing? Here he is, lost all of his strength, did everything wrong, got caught in the battle and lost the day of battle, lost his vision. Now he's taken as a sideshow, a freak show to the Philistines, mocked and made fun of. But all along, God allowed his hair to continue to grow and grow. I'm talking about 2019 being the year of the comeback. Things that you lost, your strength, your anointing, that business, those relationships. They're coming back. Woo. Verse 25. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. You see the devil, he makes you a performer. Dance for us. Call for him so he will perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them and they stationed him between the pillars. Why is it that people want to celebrate your captivity? I love people, but they can be so cruel and untrustworthy and not faithful. And shame on us for giving our trust to people who have never shown us faithfulness. No wonder we get hurt over and over like a vicious cycle in our lives. And when you're down, it's like instead they want to kick you. I don't want to kick people when they're down, guys. I want this church to lift people back up. We got to be a people that bind up the wounds of other people and we don't celebrate when they're down. It's like your downfall becomes their entertainment. <sighs> don't look at me like that. We've all seen this. And some of us in this room, maybe too many of us, have relished in the fact that those around pedestals got knocked down and we can't wait to share the story with somebody else because they were on top and now they've fallen so far from grace and we go behind their backs. We don't kill them with a sword anymore, but we do with our tongues. 
And we can't wait to share that or retweet this or, and put that out there and embarrass folk that used to be on top. What is it inside of us? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's our sin nature. It's our man nature. Because when we feel miserable, we want everybody else to be miserable with us. But when they're on top, they only got there because they lied or they cheated or they stole it. Come on, somebody. Or they beat somebody up for it. They couldn't have got it because God actually gave it to them. Jealousy. Our jealousy, man. Our competitiveness. Our own uh, disappointments. Because we think we should have what they have and we don't have it. And therefore, we're going to take them down. I'm all for the underdog, y'all. I'm all about it all day long. My wife and I, we talk about it. That's been our whole life. We've always been for the underdog. We believe in the underdog maybe because we've been the underdog, okay? But I'm not going to take those people down that are no longer underdogs, but they're on the top of the heap. They did something to get there, and maybe we should learn a little bit of how they got there rather than tear them down. Because we live in a climate and a culture today, if you're successful, you're bad. Now I'm way off target. I need to get back on the preaching here. You're a preacher of the gospel. Stay with the gospel, pastor. Okay, I'm going to stay with the gospel. I'm telling you, that's the truth. That is the truth. Amen. One of the things you've got to realize is not everybody's for you. And the sooner you get that revelation, the better and the stronger you will be. And church, not everybody's going to celebrate you when you get a victory. And if I can say anything to you is this, get free from people's opinions. My God, if I would have lived by people's opinions, I'd have packed up shop a long time ago and went into another profession. But I can't because God called me here. You can't let people run you out of what God called you to. Stand strong. Don't be moved, man. There are some who don't want you to recover. They don't want you to get back up on your feet. They don't want you to have victory. Guess what? Love them anyway. Make sure, the, Jesus said, if they even spitefully use you, love them. Love your enemies. I don't know if I told this last week or not, but I said, I'm going to write myself a book. I'm going to write a book because I got a lot to share. I need to write a book. And he's never released me to do that, but if he does, I'm going to write me a book. And then I'm going to put right in the front of it my acknowledgments and a big old fat thank you to all my enemies. Because it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have prayed as hard. I wouldn't have pushed as hard. I wouldn't have contemplated as much. You cannot have, you cannot build a, you cannot build a strong structure of a building until you're willing to go beneath the surface and deal. You got to put in a great foundation before you can build the building. And God will put an enemy in your life, not because the person is evil, but the Lord will even use their misunderstandings to make you better and make you stronger. Because the bottom line, you're either going to be bitter or you're going to be better. 
I've chosen to be better. Now, verse 26, 30, says this. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now, the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Now he's interceding. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I, I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two pillars which supported the temple, and he braced him. And he braced himself against them, one on his right, the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Simply put, God can use you even greater after the darkness in your life. God can use you greater after the disappointment. God can use you greater after that heartbreak, after that letdown, after that divorce, after that betrayal, after that hurt. God can make something crooked and straighten it out in your life to say that there's a testimony of where I used to be and what I used to have. But look what the Lord has done. Y'all don't remember that old song, do you? Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just on time. Well, I'm going to praise his name. Y'all don't want to hear that no more. All right. The judges were the precursors to the kings. So God set it up that he would be king over Israel. He wanted to be king over Israel. But he said, I'll allow judges who will judge rightly. So the prophets and the judges worked together. It's before the kings. And this Samson was the 12th judge of Israel. 12 is symbolic of government. Government always speaks of order. If we want the comeback, if we want to come back from where we've been to where we know we're called to be in 2019, which I believe is the word, a portion of the word that God has for 2019, we're going to have to allow God to put order in our lives, church. You don't get to do what you want to do all the time. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You got to make up your mind. And God wants to bring order in our homes, order in this church, or in his church, order in our finances, order in our bodies, order in our minds. God wants to organize it. Why? Because he wants to bring the biggest breakthrough and bring, us big, bring the biggest miracle you've ever had. Why does that have to happen? I mentioned a moment ago, two fish and five loaves. Jesus took it, blessed it. He knew what he was going to do. He's going to feed 5,000 people plus with it. With a couple fish sandwiches, man. And so he said, here's what you do. Before we, I'm gonna, I'll be broken up and put it small. He gave them all small portions of all 12 of them, small portions. And he said, you're going to bring it out to the people. But before you do, 
Let's have them sit down in groups of 50. What's he doing? He's putting order in. He's organizing things. Then the miracle can happen. Did you all see that? Order has to come back to our lives. we got to live the way God wants us to live. Samson took a Nazarite vow. He sure did. But it was a vow. It wasn't just the mechanics of what he had to do in the vow. It was the fact that he vowed. It wasn't about his hair. Matter of fact, Nazarite, Nazarite, vow, um, Nazarite vow was not uh, a, a, something that was uncommon. Uh, many people took it. Uh, the Nazarite vow, simply put, would be uh, you, you drank no alcohol. You touched nothing uh, dead or unclean. And um, you didn't cut your hair. No razor would touch your head. So people did that. So it wasn't that the strength was in his hair. Because the Bible would also say it had to be in the alcohol too. Not, 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 not alcohol. Or the not touching of the dead. Which, by the way, he did that. He touched the lion. Remember the Bible said he killed a lion, smote him, killed him, came back a few days later and saw, hun- saw honey, the honeycomb, inside the lion, the carcass of the lion, and did eat from it. Didn't lose his strength. My point to you, uh, what I want to make is this, is that the, the Nazarite vow was just that. It was something that was made in the heart and verbalized with the mouth. We make vows all the time. Sometimes they're good vows. Sometimes they're not so good vows. We may make a good vow, Lord, like we got saved, I'll serve you all the days of my life. It's a vow. We mean it from our heart. God holds us to it. It's a covenant. In other words, it's an agreement that we have between us and God. But we may get hurt in a marriage, and we may say something like, I'll never let a man or a woman do that to me again. And the problem is, it sounds like it's good, but it doesn't let in a new voice or a new man or a new woman into your life. Because now they've got to pay for all the sin that the former person did because of the vow that you have in your heart. Nobody will hurt me like that again. Truth is, you need to be healed of that. And the vows can, 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 so they can be negative. But they do have power because it shows covenant. Samson's hair, his hair was an outward sign of the inward covenant that God made with him. God will always give a sign outwardly when he has done something inwardly. People should see the work on the outside of what he's doing on the inside. We believe in speaking in tongues here at Faith Builders. But speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. It's a sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. Delilah couldn't get to his hair until what? Until he told her all that was in his heart. And when he opened his heart up to her, it became a weakness to him because his heart was opened up to the wrong person who didn't value the significance of who he was and stole his strength from him. That's how the devil works. That's why you don't tell your inmost thoughts to just any person because they're not the same level of faith that you're at. It's not that you're better, it's that you're smarter. And you're smart enough to know I can't just give you everything that's in my heart. Because when I do that, that's when I lose my significance. That's when I lose my worth. This is where I think 
I'm going to close right here. This is where I think we confuse the world. We claim God has done something for us inside, but there's no outward sign or evidence of what he's done in our lives. I, I, just, I just don't, I, the, everything in me is against that. Oh, guys, you have no idea. I grew up from seven years of age in a Christian household, went to Christian school from uh, second grade to ninth uh, grade. I didn't finish ninth grade. And I uh, got Christian school, and I was a sinner for, for some of that. And um, one thing during my, when I was backslidden as a young kid, 13, 14 years old, and I knew what I was doing, and I, I wasn't serving God. But I tell you what I couldn't stand, and I still can't stand today. I don't know what it is about me. I cannot stand a hypocrite. Oh, God, I, re- I would rather hang with a sinner any day, all day long than a self-righteous, hypocrite, so-called Christian who act like they, their act is together, but they do everything behind your back. They connive. They talk about you. They gossip. Live like the devil and then put it on. And everybody, it's not like people can't see. At least with, I'm with a sinner, I know where he stands every day. So when I was backslidden, I couldn't stand to be around a hypocrite kid. To me, it was like, if you're going to live like the devil, live all, be the best devil liver you could possibly be. That's how I felt about it. You're going to be in the world, live like the world, man. Why are you trying to have both people? No, you can't. You can't have one foot in this. I knew the difference. I just don't respect that. And maybe that's what I'm supposed to be like that. Maybe I'm supposed to be like that. I don't hate people. But boy, I get frustrated. If you say you're a Christian, act like one. I didn't say perfect. No, no, you're going to cuss. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do it. That's, that's normal stuff, right? You get before God. You ask people to forgive you. You ask God to forgive you. You move on. But they ought to see that you're doing your best, your gut level best, to live for God with all your heart. How do you know when you're really living for God? How do you really know? There's plenty of ways to know. Let me tell you one of the real good litmus tests of how you know. When people at work come to you when no one else is around and says, hey, I got this problem. I know you, I know you got it in with a man upstairs. Maybe you could pray. You, they, they don't know how to talk, but they know there's something about you they can trust to get a hold of God to help them out in their time of need. That's one way. That's one way. There's a myriad of different ways. But I, I, I believe with all my heart in 2019, we got to come up out of that closet not be ashamed of who we are. The other day, I, I, I always get to know my neighbors around me. But, you know, you're in and out. And you don't have a lot of time for people. And they don't have a lot of time for you. And you just see each other in the alley or in the front yard, whatever. And um, this couple, older couple, couple lives behind us named George and Valia. And they've been there from the mid-70s. And so we, we talked to them, first got there. And then ever, not since then, it's been, hi, how you doing? How you doing? Good to see you, that kind of stuff. Hey, you know, did you order this weather today? You know how that stuff is. And, uh, and so um, the other day, I was coming out, and um, it was on a Monday, whatever, and he goes, hey, he said, I bet you guys are pretty busy this time of year at the church, huh? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we are, and this is what's going on, and blah, 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 I invited him, and um, chit-chatted for a little bit, and the whole time I'm thinking, when did I tell him I was a pastor? I don't even remember 
telling him that I was a preacher. I'm thinking in my head because I'm trying to go back to our first conversation because it kind of took me off guard for just a second. And then I realized I do that everywhere I go. The first thing I tell people when I move to the, next to them or, or get into a new environment, I know I'm going to be around them for a little while, I tell them I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And then I tell them I have a pastor at church that I'm very proud of. It comes right, it's like second nature. I'm not ashamed of that. Sometimes you get the look. Of course you get the look. It's not usually one of disdain. It's usually one of the, they're like, oh. And they're thinking, did I just cuss? Oh, my God, did I? They, they, it's, they, they, they get a little bit weird about it. It's not because they don't like you. It's just because they, they take, they're not used to that, right? But now they know. Now they know. Why? Do, do your coworkers know that you're a born-again child of God? Do the people at the grocery store that you go to all the time, that you talk to all the time, do they know you're saved? Does most of your family know you're saved? Praise God. <laughs> right? Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. Amen. A tree is known by its fruit. So if I've got an inward work of what Jesus has done in me, and this, this is not meant to condemn us today. This is meant to encourage us today. But if, I, if, I've got, if I've got an inward work of Jesus on, inside of my heart, my life, there ought to be evidence on the outside. An apple tree doesn't have to put a big sign on it and say, hey, I'm an apple tree. He must be Italian. I'm an apple tree. Hey. Well, no, because I don't go up to the apple tree and go, look at them bananas. That is one beautiful banana tree. There's a slap. Boy, that is an apple tree. There are apples on there. Oh, yeah, apples. Okay. Right? There's no doubt of what it is because of the fruit that it bears. But if I'm always all the time telling the dirty jokes, hanging with the, the world, going to church on Sunday after being up all night on Saturday night at the club, I, can we just tell the truth and shame the devil here? What in the world does a believer have to do in a club? I can't think of, could you imagine running into your pastor at the club? What's up? Got my shirt unbuttoned here. What's up? You having a good time? Hey. What, what? You'd be like, oh my God. You'd be on some. Prune is at the club. You'd be embarrassed. You'd be ashamed of me. You'd probably never come back to this church again. I was only there for research. I just like to dance. Can't dance at home? No, you like to wear that tight stuff. You like to get in an environment where you can be looked at. You like to shake it. You like them lights. You like that seductive atmosphere. You like to have four or five drinks so you start getting real loose. Why don't you just tell, quit being a hypocrite. Tell the truth, man. They're slow, but they're coming. Pastor, it's like you always work. Every week you work on kicking some people out. My God, Pastor, leave us alone. I, I got to tell the truth. If you couldn't see me, could you imagine Jesus at the, down the bar? Come on. Jesus getting a drink, hanging out with everybody? Well, if you can't imagine that, what are you doing there? Playing games. 
and you're going to get burned. I love you to tell you the truth to risk that you hate my guts. But I tell you the truth because I love you. I don't want, I've been doing this for 20 years. I don't want more people getting burned. People that are so on fire for God and then they got sucked back in. And I just don't want that to happen on my watch. Amen. On that note, how'd you enjoy the message today? Yes. Woo.